Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about, and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into the Film Guy Network on a wonderful Thursday evening. We got a saying around here, last show, best show. We're going to knock it out of the park tonight for you guys. And I want to start tonight's show with a dreaded text message. The old, we need to talk text message. My married men, my, my, my men with some significant others in the world, you will understand and recognize this text message. The we need to talk text message will have you backtracking your steps faster and harder than when you lose your keys and your wallet at the same exact time. Do you have a similar set of text messages, boys, that uh, ring true? Like, you get this text message and it's like, oh, shit, I'm in some hot water. Something's fitting to go down. Oh, yeah. Like a, like a call me when you get the chance type Ooh, thing. Oh, yeah. Especially with a period at the end. Like, mm. Yeah, no exclamation point, yeah. period at the end. Mm-hmm. Exclamation point, wife might have a question. Yeah. You know, an important question. Hey, when, does, when do our tags expire? What's going on here? Period, no exclamation point. Yo ass is in trouble. What you got for me, Kirby? Uh, those dishes better be done when I get home. Mm, from the mother. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. That chicken better be thawed. Mm-hmm. One of those. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm five minutes away, or I'm pulling into the neighborhood. Oh, we're popping again. Damn it. That's not even on you guys. That's on me. So. Damn it. Who took a shit and didn't flush? Yeah. The, one of those text messages. <laughs> but the we need to talk text message. The we need to talk text message is very, very nerve wracking. All right. Very nerve wracking. Um, Damn it. <clears throat> We're good. We're good. Dang it. That ticks me off, man. We had a good little opening going right there and just messed up with some static. That's all me, guys. Um, but anyways. Every person has received that we need to talk text messages and got the willies, right? In the world of football, there's a very similar uh, text message or notification on your phone that you get as a player that will have some type of uh, reaction, very similar and very akin to the we need to talk text message. That message being, hey, team meeting, mandatory team meeting, X amount of minutes uh, in the next hour at four o'clock. You get the mandatory team meeting text message something is about to go down and it's never very rarely anything good okay you get the mandatory team meeting out of nowhere text message somebody has either stolen something out of the locker room y'all finna run to you puke uh somebody has died in the immediate family or program uh somebody finna leave uh the immediate program or something is coming down sanctions wise it is never ever ever rarely ever good except for in eugene oregon today in eugene oregon today when they got the text message of hey we need to talk. They got good news today from their head coach. Four. Who has goals and aspirations? Raise your hand up. All right, everybody got goals and aspirations. You know how you get those? You be the best where you're at. If that's how you reach goals and aspirations, that's how great things happen. It's not about worrying about the next thing. It's about worrying what's right in front of you, six inches right in front of your face. I want to remind you guys what that means. You guys that just got here don't know them. Right, but it means something to be an organ done. Everybody makes what? They all, they all make commitments to things that they're gonna do. A lot of starters, the world doesn't have a lot of what? Finishers, we're finishers. I do not want to 
be here in Eugene for as long as Eugene will have me. This place has everything that I could possibly ever want. There's a little bit of a problem in society today with people looking for what's next and where where there's an opportunity. And the reality is, you know, the grass is not always greener. In fact, the grass is damn green in Eugene. If you're scared your coach is leaving, then come play for us. The Ducks aren't going anywhere, and I'm not going anywhere. Um, that Dan Lanning, pretty cool guy, huh? He's a dude. Chiller. Seems all, yeah, just all dude characteristics coming from Dan Lanning. Real chiller of a dude. Yeah. Just through the video, you can tell how, like, infectious, like, his vibes are and, like, how he can captivate a room so easily. Like, I, you believe in Dan Lanning when you watch stuff like that. Yeah, I think what, what the, the keynote uh, statement right there is if you want to achieve your goals – uh, continue to grow where you're planted, um, which I mean, I think we, everyone kind of hears that message and, and receives that message. But I, I have found like, I don't know about you guys, but my peers in my life um, and my colleagues and, 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 and ma ma mainly my generation, my generation of friends, when they got into the workforce, they started doing this, right? They're climbing the corporate ladder by going from one job to another organization. And they're just trying to get promoted one step at a time. And gone are the days where, you know, like I'm, I'm going to reach the pinnacle. I'm going to reach the top where I'm at. Um, and I think we've seen this even in the like, – especially in the coaching ranks. Um, but it seems like, you know, by all accounts, Dan Lanning is happy out there in Oregon. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in here in just a second. But welcome into tonight's show. We got a loaded one for you. What's left for Bama after Dan Lanning uh, announced today that he's going to be sticking around at Oregon and out there in Eugene as the grass is still green out there, so says Dan Lanning. Um, where does Bama rank in terms of job openings, right? I think the discussion needs to be had about – is Alabama a great job because Nick Saban did a great job at Alabama or is Alabama a great job? We'll talk about that tonight. Do we see another Nick Saban anytime soon in the world of college football? Uh, what changes does this create in the SEC landscape? LSU made some defensive staffs uh, adjustments that need to be talked about here on the National Hour, so we will bring that some attention. But I want to bring some attention to our friends over at Prize Picks. If you run over to Prize Picks today, use promo code Brooks, you get a 100% deposit match. What does that mean? You put up to $100 in your brand new account using promo code Brooks, you'll get matched instantly with that $100. You'll have a free hundo sitting there in your account to go get in on some Flex Friday tomorrow. Um, so make sure you're heading over to prizepicks.com and using that promo code Brooks. Let's get back to landing right quick, gentlemen. Guys, if Dan Lanning is saying no to the University of Alabama right now at this point in his career, I think the first question is, what does that say about the monster he either has or he thinks he's going to have at Oregon to turn down this Ferrari that's sitting out there in Tuscaloosa? He's got the ultimate pitch right now to anybody and everybody that wants to listen to him. I mean, it took him two years to be the top candidate, essentially. Like, any list you saw put out about p potential candidates for Alabama, it was Dan Lanning right at the top. So, for him to be the top candidate in just two years and then for him to turn that down when a lot of people probably would have taken that opportunity I mean it says exactly what he mentioned of like I'm planted where I'm at and this is where I want to be so it immediately captures the attention of everybody I mean I think he certainly believes in what he can do at Oregon and what he's building but I don't think that's the reason necessarily he didn't go I mean you got to Oregon two years ago mm. it takes a while to get your feet in the ground to build a roster up to build coaching staff to build connections and such as that 
why would you want to burn that? And oh, by the way, I have to go follow up the goat of all goats, where if you don't win a national title every other year, you're going to be deemed as a disappointment. So I think that's kind of what also enticed him to stay. The the fear of following Nick Saban, I'm, I'm with you for almost everybody, except for the guy who's out here going for fourth and three and is just, I mean, Dan Lanning strikes me as a guy who has no fear in yeah. anything in his life. So I don't know if that was necessarily one, but it had to play a role, you would imagine, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the stakes are only so high here at Oregon. Like the pressure is only so high here at Oregon, um, at Alabama, it's it's instant. Like you have to compete and you have to do it at the level that the the previous guy did. Also, I mean, well. you win what a national title or two at Oregon, you're yeah. the best Oregon coach of all time. You, you, you know go what? down in history as the goat. I I honestly think that today's decision and today's announcement already entrenches him in this fan base as such because of the history that they have. Right? You hit the nail on the head. This proves to me the, these these statements from him and this turning down of of Alabama, whether he was their first choice or third choice, I would have to believe he was their third. We'll talk about it tonight. I think they called Kirby Smart. I think they made Steve Sarkeesian say no. And then they probably made Dan Lanning say no. I think that might have been the order of these things. But for him to say no to this program confirms that everything that he has been talking about, all the lip service that he talks about, how the grass is pretty daggum green in Eugene and how he thinks that he can build that place into what Alabama is. This statement meant this um, and proved all those things were true from from his mouth. And the other thing, and this is the reason why I think this decision, whether he wins a national title or not, that'll that'll be the rose or the the cherry on top of of what happened today for Oregon fans. This entrenches him into a different uh, echelon. Like, you think he had buy-in from that program and that fan base and that that, – those football players previously – it's on a whole nother level right now because of what this program has gone through over the last four or five coaches, right? As soon as Chip Kelly leaves them to go uh, to coach in the NFL, right? They go with Mark Helfrich for three and a half years and they ultimately fire him, right? And then they hire Willie Taggart, right? Willie Taggart steps in for about 18 months, damn near kills a couple kids in some off-season workouts <laughs> and then leaves the program to, to go take a job at Florida State. Right, and then they hire Mario Cristobal as an interim, and they end up promoting him and giving him the head coaching job. And guess what happens? Two years later, he he wins a couple games. He has a ten win season. Damn near wins the Pac twelve. Gets beat by Utah a couple times, and now all of a sudden he's getting eighty million dollars from Miami. Like Oregon has been nothing but a stepping stone for quote unquote coming home stories for the last three coaches. For the last three coaches, and they held on to this one. And you could argue. No, I wouldn't even argue. I would state for a fact. He's the best of all three. Like, he's the best of all of these coaches that have chosen to leave Eugene, and he turned down the big one. Like, we're, we're going to talk about where Bama ranks in terms of these schools and, and, and what's next for them and, and how good of a job is it really. But the machine is the machine. They are who they are right now. That is the biggest opening that we've seen in college football since, what, Georgia came open? Probably, or or yeah. maybe Texas came open. Yeah. We, can, we can argue about semantics. We can argue about who's number one of the top five schools. But, man, this is a massive job that he just turned down to stick out there at Oregon. So, again, man, like you think this dude had buy-in from boosters previously. He can – it's an open checkbook now. Like, he, it's, it's – hey, yes, sir, you can have what you want, right? Same thing from the buy-in from the players. Same thing from the buy-in from the athletic administration department. This guy will get everything that he wants out of this program moving forward. But there's still one remaining hurdle as the head coach at Oregon, and it will always be the hurdle at Oregon, right? We're going to talk about something called the five-hour radius tonight, all right? But recruiting is always going to be not hard, but recruiting is going to be difficult at Oregon no matter what, just because of proximity to talent, right? But here's the deal. Every one of these guys that we're talking about, not Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly was scheming it for the most part. But, like, 
Mario Cristobal proved you could recruit at a top five level at Oregon. Dan Lanning's recruited at a top five level at Oregon. Like, you can do all of the things that you want to. Now, will you recruit seven five stars in one class from the Southeast? No, you won't because the proximity to talent is just not reasonable to believe so. But um, I think this proves to me uh, everything that, again, he has stated about what he's ultimately trying to build out there at Oregon. And it also it doesn't confirm it's going to happen. It makes me feel as if it's going to happen at a higher rate and a faster rate than uh, previous of this decision. Do you think that them being in the Big Ten now had any influence that. on this decision? I was about to ask. So that. your your payroll and your budget immediately doubles, um, at least your income into the football operations department. Whether or not that goes to your coaching staff, I don't know. Whether or not it goes to you, or that goes to your uh, whatever, you know. Um, but your your budget doubles. You go from about twenty million dollars, I believe, a year to about forty five million dollars a year, um, or whatever the Pac twelve TV distribution was previously. <laughs> I guarantee it wasn't near what the Big Ten is because the Big Ten is higher than any other conference in college football. So, yeah, the the I mean, we're we're in a supreme conference. Definitely played a role. And oh, by the way, like going into the Big Ten next year, who looks safer and stronger of a bet than Oregon? Like mm -hmm. going into that conference. Seriously, mm -hmm. it's like, oh well, is Harbaugh going to come back? Is McCarthy going to come back? Like that's about it. As we see a bunch of draft decorations there the junior linebacker at Michigan declared today Coulson. so Colson committed or uh you know announced he was going to the draft today so there, there's a lot of turnover in the Big Ten where yeah if you're if you're Dan Landing you could look at this and you could say hey we've got a, a, a at least a, a two or three year path right here where we can run rough shot over the Big Ten yeah and I mean I think that's that is one of the big main issues I don't know if, if Oregon's still in the Pac-12 this deal landing to Bama doesn't get done and, dude, I, I think it is worth noting that, like, when you hear about a coach having a young family or a coach having a family of, like, 9- to 15-year-old kids, man, like, look at Dan Lanning's bio, okay? Just look at his wiki page. Since 2015, his family's made eight moves. They've moved, like, eight times, okay? Since the moment he was a graduate assistant in Alabama, it's been ping-ponging all across this country. Okay, and now he's got a job that's paying him almost what, like eight and a half, ten million dollars a year. Okay, up in Eugene, Oregon, and he's got a top five football program. Like, man, I, I I I sympathize with a person who had all these dreams and aspirations, and you you hip hop all across the country, and you finally get settled, and you're there for two years, and you're having a tremendous amount of success, and now you have to have this big like offer put in front of you of like, man, I'm I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at. I kind of like where I'm at. Um, and I think that's ultimately – that's definitely where he ended up settling mm -hmm. um, is I like where I'm at in Eugene. Mm -hmm. All right. What is next for Alabama is the immediate question. And I think there are two names that everybody has circled. For some reason, and I want to talk about why Dabo immediately got nixed out of here, but I think I know why. But the two names that are hottest right now, Kalen DeBoer, obviously the, the, the head coach from Washington, and Mike Norvell, the head mm -hmm. coach at Florida State. Those are kind of the two names right here. And, and – the DeBoer smoke is is really, really loud for one reason. It's not just because he was super successful at Washington. It's also because the representation that he has sent or recently chosen, right? He has signed uh, or has been signed to be represented by Jimmy Sexton. And I know a lot of you guys listening tonight are SEC fans. So you probably know the name Jimmy Sexton or you're really smart football fans. So you know the name Jimmy Sexton. If you don't, Jimmy Sexton is the definition of a super agent. Like, there are super agents in other sports. Uh, Scott Boris is one in the in, in the world of baseball, right? Uh, you got LeBron's agent in basketball. You got CAA in basketball. There are these super agents. 
in the world of college football because players until recently didn't necessarily need representation. All of the representation focus was on guess who? The head football coaches. Well, Jimmy Sexton being the best representation representer of all of these football coaches, okay, represented all the great ones. As most recently in the, in the article that I could find, most recently in 2020, he represented 20 of the top 50 highest paid football coaches in all of America. And you guessed it. Of those 20, majority of those football coaches, uh, you know, resided in the SEC. Okay, so it, at one point, Jimmy Sexton represented 11 of 14 SEC football coaches. Like, the dude is the conference's agent. And one article I read, on, I, I can't remember who wrote it, maybe The Athletic, but it, it basically stated, like, you think, uh, you think Greg Sankey is powerful in this conference? Uh-uh. Jimmy Sexton runs this conference. Was, it was how powerful they connote this dude to be. So, Caleb DeBoer signs with Jimmy Sexton, and immediately the, the tin hat theory start, or the tin hat theory start rolling, like, hey, that, that's indications this dude's coming to the SEC. Boys, do you, do you buy into the notion that, like, hey, follow the representation, you'll follow the actions and the causation to these things? I mean, yeah, I would think so. I, I think that whoever, like, you have your money linked to, wherever you're trying to be, I mean, regardless of, like, how personal you are and how personally driven you are, I mean, if, they, if, you, if you have a person as powerful as Jimmy Sexton, I think you're always going to be linked to things like this and you're always going to be led to things that can, can know what he's also involved with. It's definitely something to look at. I think it's definitely going to play a factor into who gets hired now mm. just because Sexton obviously has more leverage than any other agent in sports, honestly. But I don't know if that's going to be the deciding factor or if that's really what's going to be, oh, X person got this job because Jimmy Sexton was their agent. Or Alabama hired this person because Jimmy Sexton was the agent. Mm. So if DeBoer is the guy, right, I, I have a couple of thoughts about this, right? First of all, all the dude's ever done is win, like at the Division II level, on into the Pac-12 level. Uh, Fresno, I think he was at Fresno State or some some Northwestern mid-major Somewhere school, out there. Okay, before he got to Washington and continued to win at Washington, right? Um, but you, you, you guys know this, and everybody's already talked about this one with the idea of anybody coming into this conference that is a foreigner, okay, to the Southeastern Conference. You got to recruit at a different level down here. We already know DeBoer has not done that. Like he has not recruited at a level even this year where they're winning, uh, you know, on the run to win uh, potentially a national title. He's recruiting like the 60th range right now in the Power Five. Okay, so it's not great. All right, with regards to his recruiting, that can't happen down here. Not just from, I'm not saying you can't win without recruiting at a high level, but your boosters aren't going to be satisfied. Like, one of the biggest things down here is acquisition of talent. It's, it's the, it, the, Alabama put it out in their statement. We are looking for a coach who can recruit, develop, game manage. It wasn't game manage, develop, recruit. All right, it was recruit, develop, game manage. That was the requirements to be the Alabama head football coach. DeBoer has not shown, or at least does not have a track record, not saying he can't do it, of doing the elite level recruiting. You also, you don't have to just recruit at an elite level down here. You got to really schmooze down here, all right? You, you got to be likable. I think Brian Harson learned this really, really quickly, right? If you're not someone that can be a little bit of a salesman, all right, and you don't have the cachet of a 2004 national title at LSU, and you can tell boosters to F off, you know what you're doing, then you have to be able to kind of kiss ass a little bit. And I think that's the other thing that a lot of people aren't talking about with this idea that DeBoer might be coming to Alabama. Everybody's doing the recruiting thing, recruiting thing, recruiting thing. But here's the deal. No matter who takes the job at Alabama, the price went up. And I'm not talking about the coaching price. I'm talking about the roster price. 
Okay, because let's let's be very honest and forthcoming about all of this stuff. We understand nowadays that name, image, and likeness, and essentially pay for play, is a major contributing factor to everything regarding regarding player acquisitions. Okay, so let me tell you something, and let me be very honest. Alabama has received something I would call the Saban tax as of late, meaning. I don't receive as much money to go to Alabama because I know I'm going to play for Nick Saban and I'm guaranteed to win a national title during my time there. Well, guess who's no longer going to Alabama for a lesser price? Guess who's no longer getting the five-star that they're competing with Ohio State or Notre Dame or Texas or Georgia? Guess who's no longer getting it at an 80% clip that they might have been getting years past because Nick Saban was there? The new coach. So the new coach, not only in DeBoer's case here, has to go from a place where at Washington, he had to get boosters to give a shit. He had to get boosters to care about football at a high rate, at a national title contending rate, right? He's going from that to now going to a place where he's going to have to essentially talk boosters off the ledge left and right. I got to stop with you guys. Y'all are doing too much. It's too much Texas high school football, Friday night lights type shit around here. He's going from one place where please, please care to the next place. Please, please trust me. I'm good. All the while telling these guys to trust me and probably having to ask for more money. Guys, do you believe this, this idea and this, this take, if you will, that I'm um, claiming stake to, because I haven't heard it anywhere else that not only is it a matter of damn, you got to live up to Nick Saban, but if you're going to maintain this roster, it's going to cost you more money. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the only count, only counter argument you can make to kids of like anybody of wanting NIL deals of like of sure, this school might be offering you something, but this is the trade off. If you come here, sure, we might knock some percentage points off of what your payment would be, but you're also going to win more games probably here. Like you said, we can pretty much guarantee that you're going to win a national title here. Other places cannot offer that. But you can't make that argument anymore with a new head coach. Not pretty much. During his 15-year run, as uh, there was 15 straight years where Alabama was ranked number one at least one week of the AP poll. During that 15-year run, if you committed to the University of Alabama, signed your L or national letter of intent, and played there for four years, you were guaranteed to win a national title. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, that is. I'm not saying that's no longer. But I'm saying the guarantees of that are no longer, right? Like, you, you can't just walk into rooms and say, well, we're Alabama now. Yeah, you are, okay? But now Alabama has to pay what Tennessee has to pay, right? Or whatever, right? It's no longer come to Alabama, you'll be developed under Nick Saban. We get to pay you less. It's, it's, that's not it. So, again, you got to go in and you got to ask for more money. And that, that's wild. You, you are unproven at that school. And that's a really tough gig um, to start with. Not, a, not only that, um, which is why I think DeBoer might be the guy, right? If you're, if you're not going to be able to maintain the roster talent, at least to start, the first two or three years, whoever the next head football coach at Alabama is not going to recruit at the rate that Nick Saban did for the last 16 years. Fair? Oh, hell no. Okay, fair. So if you're not going to recruit at the rate that he is, just because it was an astronomical rate, then you have to be able to do more with less. DeBoer, very, very good at doing that. We have seen that, right? He has developed and done more with less at every single program he's ever gone to. And like we said, he's done nothing but win. But if you're under the mindset that you have to maintain, maintain this roster, I don't think that would be the way that you would go with this decision. You might be looking into more uh, guys like Mike Norvell, who just got caught up in some shit down there at Florida State. Um, because even though he is in some NIL sanctions, and even though the NCAA is going down to penalize Florida State with some of the heaviest stuff um, regarding Amarius Mims, believe it or not, um, even though that's all happening, at least he's shown a willingness and an ability to recruit. 
um, down there at Florida State. So that that's kind of what I would pitch these two guys um, to an, an Alabama fan base with, right? On one hand, you got a, a coach that can do more with less, and he's going to have to. And you have this other coach who has a proven track record in the Southeast of not only winning football games, but doing so at a high, high recruiting rate uh, on your roster. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a, a perfect answer to either one. The best answer is you keep Nick Saban forever, and he just coaches until time ends or the world ends. But obviously that's not possible. So now you have to kind of weigh the, the lesser of two evils. What's going to be here, you know? Do we focus on getting this roster developed and maintaining that? Because that's proven to be the way you succeed in college football. Or do we go to a guy who's gotten really good X's and O's because that's also a major factor of winning games is you have to be able to manage your roster on the field. Why do so? Why do you think it is these two? Do you think it is these two names now because yeah. of those two reasons? So I think it's these two names because it's where they've they've kind of fallen. Um, so I no think, lane train. I no. I think their I think their very first phone call was Kirby Smart, hmm. and Kirby Smart was either and it wasn't even Kirby. It was Jimmy, right? He called. They called Jimmy Sexton and said, "Hey, what's it going to cost?" Um, I had heard rumors that Texas A and M threw the number twenty out, twenty million dollars a year. You know, five years, ten years, whatever you want. Was, was this after Jimbo left? Yeah, this is after Jimbo left. That, that that was the number that I had heard, and from people that I talked to today, that was going to be the number that Alabama, like Alabama, apparently has way more money than I ever imagined. Um, apparently, there's some uh, coal mining money left in Alabama. Apparently, there's a uh, uh, Paul Bryant Jr. has a, a a bunch of money out there. There's another booster that I'm forgetting here as well. Apparently, there's money is not an issue. At Alabama, and oh, by the way, they're the only college football program in the last twenty years to not have to pay a buyout. Okay, so they, they've got they've got you know save for a rainy oh, day man, fund. I didn't think about that. Yeah, they've got save for a rainy day fund um, at Alabama, so money is going to be no issue here. Um, so I would assume they've already gotten nose, right? They've gotten nose from Kirby Smart, and after that, they probably got a no from Steve Sarkeesian, and after that, they obviously called Dan Landing and got a no, and now I think we're here at the DeBoer. And we're here at the Norvell sweepstakes of things. And then after that, you mentioned Lane Kiffin. I think Lane Kiffin would be a tremendous uh, coach at, at Alabama. I think Alabama would provide him the one thing he never had at Ole Miss or will never have at Ole Miss, which is consistent ability to recruit at an elite level. Um, and that would be awesome for him. I also think there is a life lesson to be learned here for every young person and every person listening to this right now, which is don't burn bridges. I would imagine there's some boosters at Alabama and there's some pe people in that administration building that probably don't like the way that Lane Kiffin left that university, okay? Um, he's the first and only football coach that ever left that place uh, with some stain on him. You know what I mean? Like, everybody gets it's, – it's, it's a common joke in this in this industry. You want to get your your image rebranded, go to Alabama, be, be an analyst, and then be a coordinator, and then boom, you got a head coaching job. Well, he was the first guy that they ever was like, hey, man, just go. Just go. Like, I know you just got the FAU job, and I know we got a national championship coming up in a college football playoff, but just go. Just get out of here. We'll have we'll have Steve Sarkeesian step in and call plays. Like, that, I think the way he left that place pissed a lot of people off. Um, or else, and here's how I think, there's, here's why I think this. The number one reason why I think this. If, if Lane Kiffin were an option, that dude would already be in Tuscaloosa with his name on the dotted line. You think he don't want that job? Like, you think he doesn't think he could be the next one? I would imagine he thinks he's great just like everybody else thinks he's good. Um, you know, so I, I would imagine that if they called Lane, there would be no hesitation. Yes, I'll take the job. 
I think it's also a sign of when Greg McElroy came out and said that there's zero percent chance that Lane Kiffin gets this job. A guy that played at the, at the University of Alabama still is connected to the University of Alabama. Like obviously, if he's saying that, if he think there, I think that he kind of speaks for the crowd of people who do have some disdain still for Lane Kiffin, and he kind of represents the crowd of people that don't necessarily still care for Lane Kiffin. But I agree with you; he would have already been there if that was the case. So yeah, I think Lane Kiffin's out because he's burned bridges at Alabama. But why is Dabo not a guy? Oh, um, <laughs> so Dabo is going to get a phone call. I was, I can't remember who I, I was listening to today, but they were talking about this. Maybe it was Bruce Feldman. Um, they mentioned that, I mean, it's, this is public knowledge by the way, cause these contracts are public knowledge. Yeah. Um, it's in Dabo Sweeney's contract that, you know, every, every one of these coaches has a buyout for themselves. Like if they want to leave, they have to pay the school X amount of money. And if the school wants to fire them, they have to pay X amount of money. It's all slotted based on how many years of the contract, all that good stuff. Y'all know this. Um, but apparently in, in Dabo Sweeney's contract, the buyout for every other school. So if he were to leave and go to Texas A&M, it's X amount of dollars. But if he goes to Alabama, the fee significantly waived. So he had his agent write in a clause to basically give him a, a cheaper out to potentially go to Alabama. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, does he want it? Dabo can stand in front of God and everybody else and tell me that he wants to stay at Clemson and Clemson's the way where, where everybody's called him to be and all that good stuff. And we can do that, but your contract says something else, okay? And your contract says that you have an opening to take that Alabama job whenever you want. Um, so he wants it. The question is whether or not Alabama wants him at that, at that point. And it's crazy. It's crazy how you can go from being – Ooh, is Dabo Sweeney going to surpass Nick Saban as the greatest coach in college football? We're five years removed from that happening, by the way. Like that was what, 2019, 2018? People were out here talking about, you know, the end of Trevor Lawrence's run or the middle of it. Everybody's like, ooh, Dabo Sweeney creeping up on Nick Saban. And now here we are a couple years later, and everybody's like, I don't want him. They, yeah. they got fans outside of Nick Saban's uh, statue out there not putting a Bear Bryant or a Scam Newton jersey on the statue, um, but out there talking about uh, F Dabo Sweeney, no Dabo Sweeney, no Dabo Sweeney. Um, crazy. Crazy how quickly you can fall down the mountain of, of college football. Now, that's fans talking, right? Mm -hmm. Is, has there been mutual discussion? I would imagine so. But yeah. I, the, ultimate, the ultimate reasoning for no Dabo, I would imagine if you're Alabama, is the reluctance, or the reluctancy to bend. Right, the, mm -hmm. the inability and the unwillingness to meet the, the sport of college football in the middle. We watched that Reese Davis interview before we came on, uh, or you listened to it, I watched it. Reese Davis asked him if this had anything to do with the, the way in the world of college football now. Is this, are you leaving because you don't like the way the, the sport is? And he basically said, I've never allowed myself to ever complain about the world uh, that we live in, right? Or how the world of college football is working. I have found a way to compete within it, right? Don't complain, compete. That's what I wrote down, right? Mm -hmm. Don't complain, compete. And that's been his whole mantra about all these changes in college football. Whereas on the other side, man, like Dabo seems like he wants to take his ball and go home. And that's not going to be an option. That's not going to be an option at Alabama. They care way too much about talent acquisition. I mean, I think another thing you have to look at is Dabo's way of coaching and it's kind of his philosophies are proven old school at this point. They don't really work. I mean, the the whole idea of I'm not going into the transfer portal, I refuse. Look how it's turned out for him over the last three seasons. Mm -hmm. So to come to Alabama, to, to come to it, to be a new head coach at a school, you pretty much have to go in the transfer portal. Otherwise, your mm -hmm. team's going to not be very good for two or three seasons and the fan base is going to very quickly turn on you. So. Yeah, I think Dabo's philosophies are also what's going to keep him from getting that job if he wants it. 
I think it's definitely the head coaching process. While it has been very brief still, I mean, 24 hours basically now, I think it has kind of worked out the way that outsiders, non-Alabama fans expected it to work out of. I think in some aspect of things, Alabama fans expected like, well, we'll have the pick of the litter. I mean, everybody's going to want this job. And now I think it's quickly come to find out that not everybody wants that job. And it may not be your number one hire or even your 1A or 1B. It might even be number three on the list who you want. So yesterday when the news dropped, I hopped on here and did a breaking news you know, piece. Just rambled for 20 minutes, whatever came to the top of the head. And uh, about midway through, we were doing candidates. Like, hey, who could take this job? And uh, I mentioned Tommy Reese. And some people in the comments were like, Tommy Reese, that's where you lost me. Like, no way, Tommy mm -hmm. Reese. Tommy Reese's name getting brought up very often in the last 24 hours. Hmm. Uh, I got another one for you that I'm going to beat everybody else uh, to. And this one, I had, I had to Google to confirm it was the dude that I thought it was. Okay? Um, and I, I almost don't even trust myself to, to release this because when it was given to me, I didn't believe it. But I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, Mike Loxley's name got brought up to me today. And here's why. Mike Loxley was an assistant. You're Googling him right now, aren't you? I'm Mike Loxley was an assistant uh, at Alabama, offensive assistant. And apparently a bunch of the uh, former players at Alabama have, have pinned him as the next one. I'm talking like big, big name former players. I'm talking about guys like uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Hmm. Okay, oh. uh, some of the goats. And here's, here's how this happens, right? Um, getting your former players to agree on who the hire is going to be is very, very important at a lot of these college football programs. And the way that – because you don't want some of your most high-profile former athletes bad-mouthing bad, bad your college coaching decision, no. right? Um, and so what these athletic directors do is as soon as a job comes open like this, they start calling around. Say, hey, who, who do you think? Who, who have you had good relations with? Uh, who, who do you think would be a good representation of our program? And uh, some of the players apparently today came back with the name Mike Laxley. Crazy. Who's and the source that gave it to me was like, go check it. I'm pretty sure they scored way more points against Michigan this year than <laughs> Alabama did. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Which is true. They did. They, I think they scored 35 um, or whatever it was. Who's the guy that Alabama hires and the fan base goes? Bill O'Brien. That's who we wanted. Oh, I thought you were going to go irate. <laughs> I, thought no, you were I, mean, go irate. I, think, I think it's a lot of people that the fan base would get pissed off about. But who's the guy yeah. where the fan base is going to go, this is who we want? I mean, I think Dan Lanning was the answer, but obviously yeah. that's not happening now. So. I was talking to somebody at Georgia about this, and I, I honestly think the Alabama fan base would be very accepting of Glenn Schumann. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I, re I really do. I think they would they would be okay with that with that decision. Um, but yeah, I think outside of that, I think they're going to be. I, I'm not going to say disappointed, but it's it's hard for me to believe that if it is Mike Norvell, right? If it's Mike Norvell, are they going to feel like uh, he's like? Are they going to be warmingly acceptant? Of, I've already seen Bama fans going out there talking about should we question his culture because of the Orange Bowl, like they're they're already doing the is this really the guy you know which which is the thing you're supposed to do as a fan you're supposed to be questioning too. What a turn of events that would be though for Alabama to get the nod in the college football playoff and then a month later Mike Norvell's the head coach at Alabama and leaves Florida State. Breaking news: Can't Mike Norvell opts out of Florida State's 2024 <laughs> season. Um, <laughs> that's not funny. Um, it is kind of funny. It is kind of funny, but no, I don't. I don't know where they go next. But it, I think it's going to be. I, I would make sure it's a big name. The Mike Loxley thing would. For, oh my god! Yeah, they would go nuts. They would go absolutely nuts if that were the case. I don't even think. I don't even think Tommy Reese would be. I don't think Tommy Reese no. has had a long enough oh, time god, there no. to do well. 
even though he, how well he finished the year, I don't think he's done enough there to just auto, like if if Kirby Smart would have retired in the middle of the 2022 season, Georgia fans would have been like, okay, Todd Munkin, I'm fine with it. He's been here three years. He's done a great job offensively. We know he's great. Like if he doesn't stay here, he's going to go somewhere else. Anyways, like Tommy Reese, I don't think Bama fans feel that way, even though they maybe should, right? He's one of the the younger, hotter offensive coordinators and offensive minds in the sport. Do you think it's weird that Dion's name hasn't had more of a, pr- a presence in this? No, because I th- I think Dion's statement has been very clear. It's been very clear. I'm not going anywhere until my son's out of here. Well, you know, Nick Saban said I'm not going anywhere too before he switched jobs. I, I'm I'm just talking about the the actions that he's every every step of every decision that they've made at Colorado screams two years, two years, two years, two years, two years. Not even that. Why would why would if you're Alabama, why do you want? Deion Sanders. Mm. Other than, I mean, you're Alabama. You don't need a high-profile, big-name coach this to prop you up. This is a good point here. You don't need you don't need TV ratings. Well, no, Alabama. I'm just saying. Like, I'm just shocked at the fact that his name hasn't even been thrown yeah. out there as much as I thought it would be. Not that yeah. not that Alabama would actually be sodding after him or anything like that. Right. But the fact that the and media it ain't even leaked out here by Pete yeah, Campbell. knowing how the media operates and knowing what they did with Dion's name for the first four weeks of college Hell, football on three didn't even put him on a graphic. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's awesome. Honestly, because the media jumped the gun early in the season on calling the best coach ever, and is he the next Nick Saban to the point where the college football fan base has essentially bullied everyone who's a media personality and saying you're an idiot for thinking Deion Sanders is good to now it's kind of you've kind of regressed back to the mean where Deion Sanders is looked at as a high-profile coach that can be exciting but at the same time has proven absolutely nothing. All right, so let's transition this discussion. As I ask the the chat right now, we got a bunch of people in here watching tonight. First of all, thank you, welcome in. If it's your first time watching us tonight, we do this every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday here during the off season, live from eight o'clock to ten o'clock. We spend an hour talking all things national college football uh, here to start the show. So welcome in. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button, like, subscribe, and rate, review, and all that good stuff. We are glad to have you in here. Uh, still on our, I don't know what our next goal is. Maybe 25k by you know February or something like that. I don't know. We got goals. We'll reach them eventually. 25k by the Super Bowl. What's that? February second, February seventh, uh, something like that. Eleventh, I think. All right, 25k by the Super Bowl is our next goal. So let's see if we can push that up uh, with a little bit of your help tonight by hitting that subscribe button if you haven't already. A uh, lot of lot of discussion, right? Or at least there should be some discussion about where Alabama ranks in terms of job openings, right? If every job were open in America in college football, where would Alabama sit there? And I think this discussion needs to be prefaced with the fact that, like, is Alabama a great job because Alabama's a great job, or is Alabama a great job because Nick Saban did a great job at Alabama, right? And I think the two can both be true, right? We have seen two of the greatest football coaches in the history of the sport, from one school, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think over the time span of college football, Alabama, the state of Alabama, has proven they really care about it. It really does mean more at Alabama, and and that was the discussion that I had with somebody today. They were talking about the before Dan Lanning announced that he was returning. It was, man, you know, Phil Knight got a lot of money, and I said Phil Knight does have a lot of money. Phil Knight does care about football. Phil Knight does donate to football, but the state of Alabama cares about football and the state of Alabama pours into football, which automatically makes it a top job because they care more about the sport that you're going to coach than any other sport at the university, which means you're going to get pull, you're going to get sway, you're going to get all the resources that you could possibly imagine um, at a school that is has a plethora of resources. 
So when I texted coaches today, hey, who's your top five jobs? Like, what is it? There was a consensus five schools, okay? And in no particular order, those schools were Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Texas, and USC. Is there any disagreements there of those five schools? Because that was kind of like, you know, half dozen to a dozen coaches' opinions. Off the top of my head, no, I think that's a really solid list. You could maybe wedge LSU in there somewhere, but yeah. other than, no, I, I think it's a solid top five. All right, so if those are the top five, um, those are the top five. Alabama fits in there. And Alabama, the one that, like, you know, not in a major city, you know, not – not uh, they're historically great but not flashy like Tuscaloosa. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, you know, Alabama doesn't produce NFL players at a, at a rate like the state of Florida does or the state of California does or Texas or even Georgia. So how is Alabama amongst this list? And the term that I kept getting brought to my face, five-hour radius, five-hour radius, five-hour radius. And I'm like, I've heard this term before, and I, I think I know what it means, but, like, what does this five-hour radius term mean? And what the five-hour radius is, it is a known theory in college football that five hours is about the threshold of a reasonable commute, right? Once we get outside of five hours, people and recruits start asking for plane rides. Hey, can I get a plane there? It's a six-and-a-half-hour drive. I'm not making it. I'm not going to be able to make it. But for some reason, inside that five hours, people feel like they can make that drive. All right, I don't have to pay for flights. I, all right, so we're going we're gonna to break a, a, a wall down here, and we're going to be very, very honest with our audience here. The most commonly broken rule in the world of college football is the inability for schools to pay for unofficial visits. And I'm here to tell you right now, Johnny the five-star from Lakeshore, Texas, okay, that ain't got a penny to his name, is not affording the trip all the way out to Athens, okay? He's not going to be able to. So who you think's picking up the tab? Uh, same thing for Tuscaloosa, same thing for Ole Miss, same thing for Ohio State. Okay, the most commonly broken rule out here in college football is the idea that people ain't paying for unofficial visits. I'm here to tell you that's a little uh, fugazi. Okay, they don't all break it out the ass, but everybody's breaking it a little bit. And you know what helps you not have to break that rule all that much? The five-hour radius. So, what does the five-hour radius look like at a school like Alabama? You can argue they've got the best five-hour radius in the sport. What are we talking about, Johnny? Let's put it up on the screen here. All right. So, within a five-hour radius of Tuscaloosa, all right, you can drive and you can recruit players from Metro Atlanta. You can cover all of Memphis and basically all of Tennessee all the way up to Knoxville, which, let's be honest, not a plethora of five stars up there. All right? Hey, but guess what? We get our stretch all the way out to New Orleans. We get all of East Louisiana. And guess what? We can recruit all of the state of Mississippi. All the state of Mississippi. Oh, and guess what? We can also dip down into the panhandle. Okay? So in this region of the country, I would argue – if you were to look it up per capita per year, I would argue that this five-hour radius produces more Division I Power 5 football players than any other region in the country. Okay, this five-hour radius covers more than anybody. If you look at Georgia's, Georgia's five-hour radius from Athens, which is about right here underneath Augusta, right? This five-hour radius from Athens really goes up until the Carolinas and kind of dips down into North Florida right here. It's a relatively decent one, right? But we're not getting into Mississippi. You're not getting into Louisiana. You're not getting barely into East Texas. 
Okay, if Alabama really wanted to stretch this five hour into a six hour, get out to East Texas, they can definitely do it. So this, this proximity to talent, it's a, it's a term you hear a lot of people talk about when they talk about these job openings. Proximity to talent is a major, major selling point for a lot of these football coaches because again, think about this. If I'm at USC, right? And let, let's take out paying for uh, unofficial visits in general. Let, let's talk about just the commute. If I'm in Alabama and I have the ability to see these players at a much, much higher rate, meaning I get to see them more opportune, more times, I'm probably going to hit more times on those kids than I would at another school where they're, they just can't come get, I can't get to them very often. Whereas in Alabama, I might see the same kid from New Orleans seven times by the time he's a sophomore to the moment he's committed. I mean, I don't even know if you can recruit the entire state of California at USC, knowing how like large and long that state is. So, absolutely, the fact that you are basically in the heart of the South, the literal heart of the South, and you can reach into so many different states in that region of the country, it absolutely is an advantage to your program. And guess what? This is, this is real nerdy. This is real college football over here, though. That stadium and that campus is a rocks toss off of I-20. It is right there in the, one of the biggest, most traveled highways in the country, all right? Your ability to get to Texas and your ability to get to Atlanta is one straight shot. That's it, okay? It's not, it's not even like Athens. In Athens, to get to Alabama, I got to drive down to Atlanta and then west. At Alabama, baby, it's just east and west, and that's it. So this, this proximity rule, they're always going to be around great talent. Um, it's why LSU's as good as they are. LSU's five-hour radius is nuts. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. And it's why no matter what coach is there, whether he's a grass eating uh, Kansas dude or whether he's a I jog with my shirt off and hit on blonde women, a uh, Cajun monster named Ed Orgeron, whoever it is, <laughs> that Joker going to win national titles at LSU because their proximity to talent is so great. Hmm. So now with that said, how would you rank the, the five schools that they gave you, those coaches gave you? So, hmm. I would put Bama and Georgia one and two, and then probably Ohio, or probably Texas three, Ohio Texas State four, three. and USC fifth. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think people realize how big Ohio State is. Ohio State's Massive. the biggest; it's the biggest university in the country. It's huge. It's them and UCF. Um, UCF is big like that. UCF is huge, dude. They got the space station, bro. Yeah, UCF and oh, that correlates honest, to hey, not, school to be, size. To be one hundred percent honest with you, UCF is the easiest school to get into in Florida. Mm. So that's why. It's very similar to why. Do you know who has the highest enrollment rate? I thought it was Florida A&M. Like, well, I don't know about that. I'm talking about Power 5 schools. Yeah. Um, the easiest school to get into at Georgia, or in the state of Georgia, is Kennesaw State. That's why their enrollment so high. Um, so, a little, little inside the, the, who, the, the workings there. How would you guys rank them? Same, same, same kind of range? I would drop USC from five and put them And put in, LSU there? Put LSU there. Yeah. Just because, I mean – you haven't had the resources that these other schools have had for the last 15 years. I mean, I don't think people really understand how much that Pac-12 deal was holding that program back. Yeah. Hmm. So that's I'd put LSU at five. Yeah, I, I agree like with that. I like it. Um, yeah, I, I was I wasn't necessarily shocked. I was kind of enlightened on how much money is actually there in Tuscaloosa. Mm -hmm. You know, when we when we did when we do all these. Who's got the bags? Alabama's like down the list. I feel like when we talk about some of these schools, well, it's not only um, who has the bags, who's willing to give up the bags. Correct. Um, and like I said, the state of Alabama, 
cares about football. There's nothing else to do. Dude. There's no pro. A, I don't give a, a piss about teams. nothing but the time. There's no pro teams. Like when when do you like see concert tours and stuff and go like, oh, they're going to Alabama. I thought you said there was no pro team. I was like, no, like there's like, <laughs> what's chicken? It's got to nothing do with but it? pro team. Yeah, it's in nothing but yeah, there's nothing but pro team out there. But no, like there's there's no professional teams whatsoever. Like it is Alabama football. That's it. Mm. It is Alabama football. Hey, make sure you hit that thumbs up button. Do we see another Nick Saban? I think it'd be disrespectful to say that there would be another one, honestly. I don't think with the landscape you're going to come to in college football, it's going to be feasible. One, because you're going to get so many coaches burning out on this job. Like, Nick Saban was in this industry for 35-plus years. I don't think you see lifers like that anymore just because it's so much more of a taxing job. You've got super conferences now. You've got 12-team playoffs. You've got NIL. You've got coaches and players being strong arm for more money. So, I mean, the transfer portal. It's just too stressful of a job now for you to last 40 years in it. So I think you have to separate this discussion into two different levels of like quote unquote goat status. Is it longevity or is it like peak, right? Is it tight number of titles or is it longevity? And if you separate into those two different categories, you'll find the guys that actually have an opportunity to run this down, right? One of them obviously is Kirby smart and, and your, your, your idea that, Hey, college football, I think what you're getting at is it's harder to win a title now. Or there's more things that can go wrong in a year not, on not the way only to win that, a title. Not only that, it's more stressful of a job. Okay. You have to do five times as much as you did in 2006. Correct. So you're, you're, you're talking about the, the dent on longevity that the world of college football has created. What yeah. I'm talking about is the new landscape of college football creating a little bit more difficult path that to too. a national title. That as well. At least for Nick Saban it was. Mm-hmm. Nick Saban won three of his seven national titles in a four-year window. Okay, during the BCS titles. Yep. Okay, and we moved away from that, and he's won two cents. Okay, so or three cents, three cents, three, three cents, two thousand and fourteen. Okay, fifteen, seventeen, twenty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So three cents, two thousand and fourteen, when when uh, the uh, college football playoff came around. So my initial thought was like, oh, no one's gonna win at that rate, except for if Kirby wins another title next year, he's won three out of four in a college football playoff format. So the only person on in the landscape of college football right now that is available that even has a shot, in my opinion, of running down the total like supremacy of titles is Kirby Smart. He's sitting mm-hmm. at two right now, um, has an opportunity as a favorite to win a third next year. Will he run down seven? I don't know. Right. If, if you just assume that there's like this void now in college football, that his path has just become easier, which technically it has. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the local hour. Um you, you do have a path for this guy to run down seven, but that, that means he's going to, at this rate, have to stick around college football for another 12 years, Yeah, 15 at least, years. At least that, yeah. Um, and that, there's obviously on the horizon, it's a possibility. Um, but in terms of titles, he's the only one. He's got to run down five more by the time he ends up uh, retiring from the sport of college football. The other discussion is the total amount of wins, right? 297 is his number, right? The longevity play. Of, of do you have an opportunity to run that down? Was that fifth all time? Yeah, I was somewhere, somewhere around that 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 point. Um, and the only guys I, I looked up today, do you know? Do you have a guess? Because I had a guess that was actually really really good. Uh, Mac Brown. That's a great guess. I feel like we did this one time. Um, I think I did guess Mac Brown. Um, hmm. Mac Brown. Let me let me think of who's another guy. That's the just- Minnesota head coach. No. Dabo? No. No, not PJ Fox. Dabo's close. He's got like 140. Are you but talking the, about like – I'm talking about career wins. All time. I'm talking about career wins all time. All time career coaching wins. I got three names. 
Dude, this is Division One, so Kalen DeVores or not? Uh uh. Okay. Um, I'm a man. Oh, Gundy. Mike Gundy was my guess. He's sitting at fourth right now with 166. Okay, Dabo's uh, third with 169. Uh, Do you know who is number one? Give me a hint. I don't know who number one is. Like number one currently active? Me and my family. Oh, really? Yeah. Brian Kelly has 186 career wins. Huh. So Brian Kelly's got an opportunity. You know what I mean? If he goes uh, 10 wins for the next 10 years, that's another hundo. I said 286. There's an opportunity for for Brian Kelly to be one of the more all-time winning head football coaches of all time, which is nuts. But if you think about it, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. I mean, he spent like 10 years at Notre Dame. It was a while. Yeah, he was there for a while. He was there for a while, too. He was at Cincinnati for a minute. Um, and then before that, I think it was a, a D2 stint up in uh, Northeastern Hemisphere. Um, but, yeah, Brian Kelly got an opportunity. What's next? What's next for Nick Saban? Seems like either, I, I guess, a TV role. It seems like that's kind of what he was grooming himself. I wouldn't even mm. say he was grooming himself. But like That kind of seemed like he was already stepping into that role a little bit. Yeah. Going on the Pat McAfee show. He was on game day. I, he wasn't on game day for the national championship this year because um, I believe he was out of town. But, um, yeah, it seemed like he was kind of already dabbling into that a little bit. Sit on the porch and watch a duck shit in the yard. Ain't no way. Ain't no, no way. No, he'll never do that. No, he'll lose his mind. Um, there are certain folks out there in this world I don't think are ever meant to be sitting still. Yeah. Retirement's uh, not perfect. I was about to say, you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> myself included. I, I am not meant to be sitting still despite how large I am. Um but in terms of what's next, I think if you watch that Reese Davis interview, that joker going to work for ESPN so goddamn quick. He's going to be on college game day set so fast. Here's – here's an, and I don't know how this would get a reaction or even if this is a possibility. He's out here strapping headgear on. That's what I was going to say. Is, yeah. he, is, he, is he Corso's replacement? Don't There's do it. No Please don't do it. No, no, I mean, I, I, mean I think that, that segment gets killed when Corso yeah. finally leaves that, the dash. Yeah. But That's one of the major it. reasons why you – why it shouldn't happen, but, but also then again, like, game days towards the. Here's happens. what they'll do: they'll uh, they'll paint the pick on Pat McAfee's chest and belly, and he'll take his shirt off, and that's how they'll make picks yeah. on game days. Now, it'll be uh, it'll be instead of Corso's headgear, it'll be McAfee's chest hair. All right. So I like it. There you go. Um, Another thing I, I don't think we've we've even like thought about that's going to be an effect of this is i mean he's pretty much a shoe in now to be the cover of the new video game that and he's also a shoe in to be the college football uh, commissioner and i don't know when it's going to happen but he hinted towards it there was a direct quote in that interview that he had with reese davis and i want to read it to you because i wrote it down um he said there's more to come from my standpoint on that meaning like he was asked about all the changes in college football and he said that he had all these ideas and all these ways to, to handle all the issues right now in college or in college football. And he said their quote will be more from me on that front in the coming future. Um, I thought that was a direct hint at I'm fitting to, I'm, I'm fitting to take over. I'm mm-hmm. fitting to be a college football commissioner and make sure this shit is run right. Well, Which well, honestly, would I would, anybody I would disagree love that. other than I don't even know. Who who dislikes Nick Saban? Auburn. Yeah, but that's a fan base. I don't think I don't think there's really anyone in the coaching world that at uh, least doesn't have a yeah. base. I mean, you have to have a baseline of respect for the yeah. guy for what he's done the last 15 yeah. years. Isn't that crazy? He like I I know of one head football coach that dislikes Kirby Smart, or at least I think dislikes Kirby Smart, and he's in the SEC. We don't have to go anywhere any further. But 
I don't think there's a single coach that I can think of off the top of my head that has disdain for Nick Saban. I mean, really, like... And all the ass-beating that that man's been doing. I mean, really nobody. I mean, even outside of the coaching world, like, really nobody, I would say, like, hates Nick Saban. I, I don't even think, like, Georgia fans, I feel like you get the same response yeah. from Georgia fans yeah. every time they're asked about Nick Saban in Alabama. It's... I freaking respect the heck out of dude, but I hate how much he wins. And I hate him for that reason. I hate how much he's broken our hearts or whatever. I feel like that's kind of the consensus opinion on Nick Saban of if you're not an Alabama fan, you don't necessarily hate Nick Saban. You just hate the success that he's had. Yeah. You respect for what he's done to the game. Absolutely. Got to have a tremendous amount of respect. Uh, let's talk about this LSU super staff, quote unquote, that they're putting together. Uh, stole Blake Baker, defense coordinator from Missouri. Also stole Bo Davis, the defensive line coach from Texas, who was an LSU alum. So he's quote unquote going back home, but uh, it's good. It's good that they're going out here and adding a quote unquote super staff. It's good that they got out, they got out here and made some changes and all that stuff. Their their issues defensively last year were in part largely because of schematics. They they just did not have it well put together. A lot of busted assignments. A lot of stuff that didn't make any sense. Right. I've talked about on this network all the time that if I watch you, I want to be able to explain why. All right. I don't need to be able to know what you're doing or or understand fully what you're doing or I don't have to make questions about personnel decisions. But whatever you're doing schematically, if it makes sense to me, if there is a reason why, then we're good. There was a lot of things that LSU did on tape this year that just didn't make no sense. And if that's the case, if there's no why to it, you got to go. And that's exactly what happened this year. Not only take into account that his players obviously revolted from him out there on the defensive side of the football, it seemed as well. So there was a lot going on out there, so it made sense to make these changes. It's great that they made these changes, but it wasn't just a schematic issue. They had a personnel issue last year, particularly in the defensive backfield. Um, they just weren't good enough. They were not good enough in the back end. Um, and despite the fact that they brought in new players, like they tried to address it in the offseason and just couldn't figure it out. I think they took five uh, new players or transfers in the back end last year in the defensive back room. And that's, that's a lot of change for not a lot of different results. Again, could be very large so be in part due, due to schematics. Um, but they stole these football coaches from, you know, members of the conference. And anytime you take good coaches – from member schools of the conference that you're ultimately going to play sometime down the road. That's good news for you normally. All right. Except I would have said the same exact thing last off season when they hired a bunch of dudes from other coaching staffs, right? They stole a defensive line coach from South Carolina and fired his ass within 10 months. Okay. So I'm very optimistic that Blake Baker is a great football coach. I'm very optimistic that Bo Smith is a great football coach. But I was very optimistic in some of the coaching hires that they made uh, last couple off-seasons as well. So we'll see. It's a results-based uh, business. They definitely got great names uh, this week, boys. I mean, LSU has a track record of being able to really turn around their program rather quickly. Uh, in 1999, their record was 3-8. and eight. Nick Saban comes in in 2000, and within three years, that guy had a national championship there. Uh, and then they went on in the later 2010s, winning another national title. And then – a few years it took them with Joe Burrow um, to win a national title as well under Ed Orgeron. And then even after the disaster that Ed Orgeron left the program, they were right back in the SEC title game with Brian Kelly in year one. So they have shown the ability to make these quick turnarounds. So maybe they can do that on the defensive side of football this year. Chat being hella active. Hey, we got another hour of local college football talk coming up right now.